How you guys doing? Good. Hey, if you're a guest with us, we are in week 10 of a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. It can be found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open it. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 this morning as we continue in this series. And when we were planning this sermon series, sitting down to kind of determine why we wanted to preach through this and spend the whole summer and a little bit into the fall preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, we decided we wanted to answer two questions. One, is there a way that I can live my life? that is going to give me a purpose that goes beyond, but also includes right here and right now. If I want my life to mean something, what does that look like? And if so, what do I do to live that life? What does that life look like? And so Jesus answers these two questions with this sermon. He says in this sermon, the big idea is that the kingdom of God has come right here and right now and will usher in eternity. And that kingdom is available to everybody. There's nobody that that kingdom excludes. And when you accept the invitation to be a part of that kingdom, this is what it looks like when that kingdom transforms your life. And he spells it out in the Sermon on the Mount. He just kind of gives us a bunch of different things about not a checklist of obligations that we need to fulfill. Instead, a description of what it looks like when the gospel takes a hold of your heart and the kingdom of God transforms every part of your life. That's the Sermon on the Mount. And so as we continue... Um, and get started today, I want to share a story that I encountered this past week. Uh, I heard another preacher share this story about his niece, and his niece's name was Alina. And Alina, uh, this story just fits, especially because it's time for the Olympics, so this is really good. All right? She's nine years old, and at nine years old, she was entering her fourth swimming season. Okay? She started swimming three years earlier. Her parents thought it would be a really good idea three years earlier. I mean, she was tall, she was athletic, she was, she was slim, she, was, she loved the water, and so they signed her up for swimming. And they thought, this is going to be a really great thing for her. And so she jumps in, and she enjoys the swimming, she meets new friends, everything's good, but there was one problem. She, for three consecutive years, lost every single race. Every race, she lost them all. And they thought, well, she's going to come home and just be, like, devastated. But every time she came home, she was cheerful. She was very happy, she was excited. Uh, she was always, and they just, what is going on? Why is she so excited about losing? What's wrong with our kid? She was just so pumped. Well, they're going into the fourth season, and Alina's mom sits down, and she's getting ready for that first race. And she says, she gets everything ready. She sits her down. She says, look, <clears throat> Alina, this year, right now, today, I want you to go out there, and I want you to win this race. And she said it real firm. And a little nine-year-old eyes got really big. Alina's eyes got really big. And when her mom was done talking, she blurted out, It's a race? See, true story. It's a race? I thought we came here to meet people. It's called a swim meet, not a swim race. She had no clue. And her mom says, in that moment, this is a true story, she said, in that moment, if you're a parent, you know what this feels like. It's one of those moments where you just sit and you're like, I am a complete and utter failure. <laughs> For three years, they brought their daughter to swim meets and never told her it was a race. <laughs> she would just jump in and play with her friends. Now, there's a million different lessons you can learn from that story, but I want to focus on one of them. In a moment, in a brief moment, everything changed for Alina. Right? Once she gained that understanding, it changed everything. Now, the lanes made sense, right? The cheering crowd, that makes sense now. 
getting here on time every single week. Now I get it. I know why we always have to be on time. And, and trophies and medals, I didn't know what that was for, but now it just clicks. Everything makes sense. This is a race. And here's the thing. Once she learned and gained the understanding, the perspective, she learned more about what swim meets really are, it changed her behavior. She went on to, to a, a, a winning season. She didn't lose another race after that moment. Not only that, she's the only girl from her swimming group that advanced to the next level of swimming after that season. It changed everything for her. One moment. Now, if you're like me, you've had many of those it's a race type moments in your life where these moments come and it just, everything changes. Like, now I understand. Now I get it. I understand why that is the way that it is. And, and what happens when we gain a new understanding, a fresh understanding, the understanding of the way things are supposed to be, it changes the way we behave. It changes our conversations. It changes our actions. It, it changes everything. This is the message of the Sermon on the Mount. You see, throughout this sermon, Jesus talks about different things. He talked about anger. We've looked through that. He talked about marriage. He talked about uh, lust. And he talked about keeping your word and being people of honesty and integrity. He talked about all these things. And as he's talking about it, everybody in his crowd are having an it's a race moment. That's how I'm supposed to view that. Man, I've never thought of it that way. And now, because they have this new understanding, they've gained this new perspective, it changes the way they behave. It changed everything about their lives. And Jesus goes through, he talks about anger, lust, he talks about all these different things, and yes, he also talks about money. And Jesus begins to talk about money, and he begins to talk about the way that we view greed and generosity. And if we're honest, while he's teaching through this and discussing it, we get a self-perspective, we have a it's a race moment. That's how I'm supposed to view money. Man, I didn't fully get it. I didn't fully grasp it. And when we have that moment, it changes everything. Because Jesus understood this truth, and this is what I want you to understand. The greatest indicator of your spiritual health, your spiritual health, is the way that you view and handle your money and possessions. Like the money that you have, the, the material possessions that you own, the, the greatest indicator... This is why Jesus talked more about money than he talked about anger, lust, marriage. He, he talked about anger more than any of those things. The only thing that Jesus talked about more than he talked about money was the kingdom. And money was a direct part of the kingdom. And so he includes it in the Sermon on the Mount saying, this is what a kingdom life looks like. Somebody who's been transformed by the kingdom, this is how they view money and finances. So we're going to jump in, Matthew chapter 6, but we're going to do it a little bit different. All right? And so we're going to look at verses 1 through 4 and then 19 through 24. But in order to give you a really good picture of the context, there's going to be a, uh, almost a reverse progression. So you're going to notice that this happens, and then it indicates this, and then it indicates this, and then it indicates this. And we're going to walk through the passage a little bit different, and we'll see that progression that ultimately will lead us to what do we do when we walk out of here. Okay? But, so in order to do that, we're going to start down in verses 22 and 23. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 and 23, Jesus says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body is going to be full of darkness. If then the light, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now this is really a weird way to start talking about finances and generosity and greed. What does this have to do with anything? And many scholars have kind of like baffled themselves over this. And they've come to this conclusion. What this is, this indicates your spiritual health, how you see and understand. This is the it's a race moment that then has all of these consequences that follow it. Here's what I mean. In the room right now, look around the room. You can see things around the room. You can just scan the room real quick. It's not weird when I ask you to do it. It's weird if someone catches you doing it when I didn't ask. But if you're doing it, it's not weird. 
there's light in this room, all right? And if your eyes are healthy, right, they take in the light. And when your eyes take in the light, then and only then does the rest of your body have the ability to respond to that understanding. Here's how that looks. Because you can see when your eyes are healthy and you see the light, the light then tells you where not to walk. So if you were to stand up in your seat and walk out of the aisle, you wouldn't stumble. You wouldn't, you'd come into the aisle, you'd know right where to walk, and, and you'd know how to go through the doorway. All of that is because when the light enters, it gives the rest of your body the ability to be exposed to that light. On the reverse side, if your eyes are not healthy and you're not seen properly, it doesn't matter how much light is in the room because you cannot allow that light in when your eyes are not healthy, when you don't have a proper understanding. And so when the light can't get in, the rest of the body, no matter how much light is around it, cannot be exposed to that light. Prevents it. So then the body can't respond. And what Jesus is saying here is this. When you have a it's a race type moment, when, it, when this is what kingdom life looks like, this is what it means to be a Christian, this is what it looks like to live on mission, this is how my life should be affected by all of these different things, what happens is your ability to see the real meaning of life, the real purpose of your life, then affects how you live out your life. But if you don't come to a proper understanding of all that God intended you to see and understand so that you could then understand exactly how God wanted you to live, it's nearly impossible to live out that life because you haven't been exposed to it. And so Jesus starts out teaching on this. He says, you need to have this proper view. You need to have God's view of life. We might call it a worldview. You need to have God the Father's worldview, right? Exposed to that in order to live this life that's honoring to him. If you're going to do that, you need to be exposed to it. Here's the deal. He didn't just tell us that. God sent Jesus, right? And so now Jesus comes and Jesus lives. He doesn't just teach us what that worldview is. He models it in his perfect life. He lives out this life. So now what he's saying here is when you look at Jesus and all that he is and all that he did, we have a very clear picture of the way that God wants us to view the world and live in it, which means the light that surrounds us can only be accessed through our understanding of Jesus. So you want to live a kingdom life. The only way to do it is to understand it through the view of Jesus. So if that's true, now track with me, if gaining an understanding of God's worldview is true, and it only comes through Jesus, then the best thing we can do is listen to what Jesus has to say. And Jesus shifts his focus and attention now to money, because he understood the truth that your money, your money, the way you view your money and your possessions, are a very clear indicator to your spiritual health. And so Jesus will, in his teachings, over and over and over again, he'll give us warnings, multiple warnings. You read through the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all right, these four accounts of Jesus' life, you're going to read and encounter many, many different warnings about how you view, treat, and use your money. One of those warnings comes in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. All right, and Jesus says this. He says, he then said to them, watch out. And this is a very bold statement. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Life is not about all the things that you own and can buy and that you can purchase and enjoy. That's not what life is all about, all right? So it's a pretty remarkable statement. Think about this. As I was reading this, I, I thought, how many other instructions does Jesus, when he tells us what to do, even in the Sermon on the Mount, for example, does he have to say, watch out, be on guard, pay attention? You, you need to pay attention to seeing this one particular characteristic, greed, in your own heart. He doesn't say that very often. Take adultery, for example. 
Jesus doesn't, in the Sermon on the Mount, say, watch out, be on guard, protect yourself from adultery. He doesn't have to. You don't get halfway through being with somebody else's spouse and think, this might be adultery. I shouldn't be doing this. That's not how it works. It's very obvious. That's wrong. You don't do that. So why is it, when it comes to money, Jesus continually gives this specific warning, guard your heart, protect yourself, be on guard, don't fall asleep, pay attention, watch out. Why does he continually tell us to do that? Here's why I think it is. I think with all the different things we can struggle with, Greed is one of those struggles that is very difficult to see in your own heart. In fact, I would say it's maybe nearly impossible to detect in your own heart. We don't see it. And why don't we see it? Well, for one, we compare up. Rarely do you look at your life and say, I'm greedy. I love material things, and I just give in to them all the time, purchasing things nonstop. No, what you say instead is, I'm not greedy. That person's greedy. They got way more money than me. Right? Or at least I don't spend my money like so-and-so, or at least I don't purchase this and that, or my things aren't as nice as this person's things. And we're constantly comparing up and out instead of looking in. And Jesus knows this, and so he gets very specific. Guard your heart. I've, in all my years uh, in working in ministry, I have never had somebody come, genuinely never had somebody come and say, I want to talk to you about a big struggle I have. I'm very materialistic and greedy. I have had that come out, but it's not self-identified. It usually comes out in marriage counseling when one is yelling at the other about how greedy they are and how materialistic they are. It's like, oh, wow, you both are. Let's talk about this. Right? It gets hard. And Jesus knew this. It's going to be so hard for you to spot this in your own life, but you need to be aware and pay attention because the greatest indicator of your spiritual health, the greatest indicator of your spiritual health is how you view and approach your money and your possessions and materialism. It's a very clear indicator. So Jesus knows it. So now what does he do? He says, hey, you got this understanding. You know about this warning. What is it that you need to watch out for? Well, then our passage kind of spells it out for us. The first thing he says to watch out for is your motives. If you want to check if you're greedy or battling greed, the first thing you do is you check your motives. What is it that I'm motivated by? Right? And he, he asks that question this way, verses 1 through 4. Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So he says, be careful, watch out. There's our term again. This is a nautical term. Be careful, watch out, be on guard. This is what he's saying. It, it was used to describe if you're on a ship and it would say, watch out, be careful while you're navigating the course of this ship because you'll hit an iceberg and the, the ship will sink if you're not careful. And Jesus is saying, watch out how you approach money and what you're motivated by because it has the ability to destroy your entire life. I mean, there's a reason the number one cause of a divorce in America is financial issues. There's a reason for these things that are true in our world and all around us. There's a, there's a reason for it. And Jesus says, watch out, because money, if not checked and guarded carefully, has the ability to destroy your entire life. And he says, when you do give, now he doesn't say if, notice that. Jesus fully expects his followers to be generous people who give. He doesn't shy away from it. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't try to make it sound less true than it is. Jesus expects, if you are a follower of his, for you to be generous and giving financially. That's what he expects of us. But he says, when you give, check your motivation when you give. Don't let your heart be uh, completely tricked by your need or false desire to be approved by other people. And so he says, don't sound a trumpet. 
and make it this big declaration in front of other people. That would be like when we do the offering, somebody, but before they have the opportunity to give, they stand up and sound a trumpet, get everybody's attention, like the start of the Kentucky Derby, and they say, right here, pay attention to me. Everybody looking? Now I'll give. It'd be weird, and you would hate them, and that's just natural, right? He says, don't do that. In their day, they would, they would all gather, and in the middle of their gathering, there would be a stone or a metal bowl. And they didn't have paper money back then. It was all coins. And so when they would come and give, it was a big deal. And you would give and your coins would hit that stone or that metal and it would make a noise. And the more you gave, the more coins you dropped into the bowl, the louder the sound became and carried. And so if you were to come and dump a bunch of coins into this offering, people all around would notice. This is why it's such a big deal when Jesus tells the story of the widow who gives her two mites, right? She comes when no one's paying attention and no one's looking and she drops her two coins in. Jesus says, this is a huge deal. This is a very big deal because they gave out of plenty. She gave out of little. And he says, it's not about the finances. It's about the condition of the heart. It's about what you're motivated by. What is it that motivates you? And Jesus says, we cannot be motivated. Our motivation cannot be the applause of other people. If you're taking notes, write this down. The applause of man is temporary and ultimately unsatisfying. And he says, your reward will not be eternal. Now, notice this too. Jesus says it's okay to pursue rewards. Many of us think, I don't want to pursue. Jesus said, pursue an eternal reward, right? Because when you're pursuing a temporary reward right here and right now, that's all you get. So when I make a big deal about my giving, I brag about it. I talk about it. I, I discuss all the different things I give to you and maybe even reveal how much money I'm giving to these different things. I give, I give, I give, I give. Jesus says, well, there you go. You got your reward. They know you gave. And that's the extent of the reward. You get nothing else. No eternal impact. No kingdom reward. That's not the kingdom life he's looking said, you want that reward, you wanted the applause of man, you got the applause of man, we're done. And Jesus, you got to watch it, because if you're motivated by that, that may feel good for a moment, but it goes away. And you never get to see the ripple effect of your generosity in the lives of other people. Your reward would be right there in that moment. So check your motivation. The second thing he says is, the second thing we have to watch out for, be on guard for, make sure that it doesn't ruin your life, is watch out for your heart. Watch out for your heart. What is it that is most important to me? And Jesus kind of asked this question with these verses down in verses 19 through 21 in Matthew chapter 6. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says, Don't invest so much in the things that you really have very little control over. Now, this is not easy. And I want to stand up here and pretend like it is. And notice, Jesus doesn't say in this passage that you can't have nice things. And Jesus never says that you can't own nice things. Right? His warning here is that make sure those things don't own you. He says when they own you, they're temporary. When he refers to the moth, what he's trying to say is the moth in their day, the small insect would destroy the basic necessities of life. And so the finest of clothing the most expensive clothing and, and material things a moth could come and slowly destroy. So he says, you really have no control over it. You don't get to control how much value this thing adds to your life because a moth, a simple, small, tiny little insect, can come and destroy it. And when he references the, the rust, moth and rust, the rust was a bigger, widespread destruction. You see, rust didn't just destroy metal. It destroyed crops and vineyards, and it destroyed people's health by rusting their teeth in those days. Here's the point. Jesus is saying, why do you invest so much of your heart and place so much of your value in something that is so fleeting? 
It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. I've said this from our stage before. We're enamored. We're captivated. We're drawn to the things of future garage sales. I mean, we love it. We go and buy something and two months later, we're selling it, right? But in the moment, it's Pavlov's dog. The bell rings and we salivate. I can't wait for the iPhone 7. Don't buy your iPhone yet. Wait for the 7. It's going to be the same thing. Check your email. Make a phone call. But it takes better pictures. Well, congratulations. See, this is how we're, we're just enamored with these things, and we're drawn. And what Jesus is saying, it's not that you can't appreciate them and enjoy those things, but those things can be destroyed in a moment. They can be ripped away from your life, taken out of your possession. And then what? If that's where your heart's at, then your heart will be completely destroyed. So he says, watch your hearts. Check your heart. Make sure, make sure that your heart is not placed in something that's so fleeting. I read this week about a woman named Rose Greenhow. She was a Confederate spy during the Civil War. Fascinating story. It's kind of, it, you, you kind of laugh, but you're like, no, that's a true story. I can't laugh at that. She was very wealthy. She'd accumulated a lot of wealth. And she was scared of being captured and losing that wealth. And so she took all of her gold and she sewed it into the seams of all of her dresses uh, to ev- evade having her possessions stolen. Well, then she had to go on the run. And so she put all the dresses on. And she got on a boat, and she was fleeing, but the boat got capsized. And when she was in the water, her life preserver was not strong enough to hold up all the way to the gold, and so it pulled her down and ultimately killed her. And there's a doctor that relays this story, Dr. Pierce Harris, and he says this. He says, A passion for riches is not worthy of such extreme devotion because we can't take it with us. But but if we're not careful and we don't watch out, sometimes it takes us with it. You see, if you're not careful, those possessions that you're allowed to enjoy, that money that you're allowed to have, if you're not careful and on guard, and remember, greed is so difficult to see in your own life. If you're not careful, it can destroy you. It can take you down with it. Again, Jesus never says you can't have nice things, but what he does say is don't let those nice things control you. They're great to have good things. It's good to have a nice house and a nice vehicle, But those things make really bad gods. And they will always let you down. And they will always fail you. The third thing he says is, watch this. You see the progression here. You get an understanding, right? I have to have an understanding. It's a reverse progression. My heart is an indicator of my motivation. My motivation is an indicator of whether or not I have the right understanding of what's going on in the world around me. And the last thing he says is, watch out for your allegiance. Watch out for the thing that that you're allowing to control your life. What is it? Or who is it that you're allowing to have control of your life that you're following? He says, when Jesus says serve, what he's talking about when you serve money, the literal definition is it's a solemn covenantal service rendered to a king. See, this is your allegiance. And what he tells us is this, when you serve money, you don't get to serve God. But here's the thing, when you serve God, money can be a powerful tool in service to our king. But he says you cannot serve both at the same time. If you are falling in love with money, consumed by your possessions, always seeking out more, wanting to buy things, always thinking about what's next, he says at the same time you can't also be thinking the way God wants you to think. It's not possible. They don't work well together. But if you're pursuing the kingdom, he says, then you take the the power that money can have and you render it obsolete. Now money just becomes this tool to help serve and love other people. In all my years of ministry, here's the thing that I've learned. I think that's probably the most powerful lesson I've learned. And I've heard it said a a lot of different ways, but I like this. What I do with what I have determines whose I am. 
Now, this is true in every area of my life. What I do with my marriage, how I treat my wife, determines whose I am. Is the way that I treat my wife and cultivate my marriage a byproduct of a healthy relationship with God or not? Or is it all about me? Same thing with raising my kids. Fill in the blank. Uh, Some of you college students getting ready to go back to school. How you view your education, how you treat your education is an indicator of who's controlling your life. Is it your future success that controls your life? Or is it the God that you have claimed allegiance to? And the same thing's true with my money. What I do with my money and my possessions, the things that I own, how I treat them, how I use them, is a very clear indicator of who I believe controls my life, whether it's me or whether it's God. So, generosity and greed, what we learn from all of this, honestly, they're not financial issues. They're just not. It deals with money, but your generosity, whether or not you're a generous person, has very little to do with your money. It doesn't. Think about it. Who's generous? Who's generous? I'll tell you who's generous. Generous people are generous. It's not rich people. You know how I know that? Because whether you're a Christian here this morning or not, you know this is be true. You've encountered generous people in your life. And some of those generous people had a lot of money. I mean, they were really wealthy and they were really generous. Others of those generous people might have been in the middle area. I mean, they, they did okay. And yet you've also encountered other generous people who had little to nothing. No money, but they were just generous people. But you've also encountered greedy people, people that battled and they weren't generous and a lot of them had a lot of money and a lot of them were in the middle and a lot of them had virtually nothing. You see, it's not about how much you have. It's not about where you stand financially. It's not about getting debt free. It's not about owning certain things. It's not about being in a certain tax bracket. Generosity is not about your money. It's about the condition of your heart. It's where your heart is. And that's what Jesus is telling us here. Where your heart is, is a very clear indicator, very clear indicator of how you are with God. And how you are with God will be reflected in how you handle your money and your possessions. And so how do we determine this when we walk out of here? How does this go from, you know, how do I make sure that my, my heart is in the right place, that my allegiance is to God, and I've got the proper perspective, and, and I know that I've got that it's a race moment. How do I know I'm living this out? Well, that's a battle, because Jesus doesn't really like, tie it with a neat bow and send you out and say, do these two things, and you're great. He just doesn't do that. I mean, this is, this is going to be hard for each of us. It's difficult. Let me, let me illustrate for you this way. Two questions I want you to ask yourself. This one's hard. I, I debated whether or not to put it on the screen, but I did, so I'm going to do it. I already did it for first service, so I'm going to do it now. Uh, the first question you can ask yourself is this. What is the first thing that comes into my mind that I think about when I get paid or I come into some money? And what's the first thing that, that comes to your, your mind on payday or uh, when you get an inheritance or you encounter some financial gain? The first thing you think about, what is it? Don't answer that out loud. That'd be weird. Now, this is a struggle for me. Let me be transparent. You're like, uh, you're the preacher. Don't do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be honest. This is really hard for me. I'll tell you why. I grew up poor, and we didn't have a lot. We just, we just really didn't have a lot. And we couldn't go to certain places, and we couldn't eat at certain restaurants, and we didn't get to buy certain things that some of our friends were buying, and we just didn't get all that stuff. And so now that I make a good living... It's very hard at times not to want to go and buy those things and eat at those restaurants and travel to those places. It's very difficult because of where I came from. And if I'm not careful and I don't have the right accountability put into my life, it's easy to miss the greed that develops in my own heart as I pursue these things. And so I have to ask myself this question all the time. What is the first? Is it generosity? Am I thinking of who I can bless or the impact that my money might make in the kingdom? So that's the second question. Is my money 
finances, making an eternal kingdom impact. Another way to ask that question might be this. Do people have a clearer picture of who Jesus is because of the way I handle my money and my possessions? Do people see Jesus with greater clarity because of the way I'm handling my money? Let me tell you, generosity has the ability to impact and ripple effect more lives than you'll ever experience here in this life. I really believe that one of the things Jesus meant was when he said your reward will be in heaven is you'll get to see the people that your generosity impacted for the first time. And you won't ever get to experience it here in this life. The ripple effect is unbelievable, but when you get to heaven, you're going to be able to see my generosity impacted you. I never would have thought. I think that's part of the reward that Jesus talks about. I think that because it's on a personal level. Uh, There's a family that has just modeled generosity for me. Uh, Their names are Jay and David Tracy. And uh, I grew up where they lived. And uh, their generosity was not major and huge and displayed. They're not very charismatic people. They're just, they kind of work hard. They do their thing. They're smart, kind, and loving, but they love Jesus. And when I, I was a senior in high school, I got introduced to them, and everybody would hang out at their house. They had this nice home, but boy, you talk, I've never seen a house that was as nice as theirs used as often as theirs was. I'm talking every day after school. That's where everybody went. And uh, we were talking on the phone this week. Uh, she's like a mom to me. Let me tell you, she, she, uh, she was at my mom's funeral. And uh, she got on a plane and flew up here to my wedding two months after my mom's funeral because she knew my mom couldn't be there and she knew how much she meant to me, so she was here for that. And that I'll never forget the rest of my life. Having somebody there, a mother figure at your wedding is a big deal, and that was, that was huge for me. So she went the extra mile for me. I was baptized in her swimming pool. I lived with them my senior year of high school for a period of time as they discipled me and poured into me. Right? And here's, here, this is fascinating. We were talking on the phone. She has cancer right now. And uh, I call her Miss J out of respect. It's really hard when you hear someone you love that much who's impacted you that heavily is battling cancer. It's just difficult. And so I'm talking and we're laughing. And she has the greatest perspective. She won't let you be down, right? She just has, has to build you up. She won't, no downers. So we're talking on the phone and we're talking about, of all things, one of the most generous things they did. And this is $2 chimichangas, all right? You're like, What? They stocked their freezer with $2. I'm talking the bag was 2 bucks, which means I don't know how any of us are still alive today after eating them. <laughs> they stocked their freezer with these $2 chimichangas, and we'd get home from basketball practice, and we'd get home from school, and there's tons of kids filing in the house, and they never ran out of chimichangas. It was the greatest freezer ever. You'd open it up, 2 bucks. Changed the lives of so many kids. We had 175 people in my home church. We sent 60 kids to Bible college. 40 of them at least because of their generosity. I remember they helped pay for some of my college. They, I got a speeding ticket and they did rebuke me for it, but then they helped me pay for it. They, uh, they've been so incredibly generous. And here's, here's the point. If my ministry here at New Hope has impacted you in, at all, at all, a good sermon, counseling, discipleship, any of it, it's because they were generous. It's because they were generous. There's no way I'd be here. That's not big and a giant big display. It was just small, simple acts of generosity. They knew, they knew that their generosity had nothing to do with their money. It had everything to do with their heart. This is why this REACH initiative is such a big deal. This is why when you walk back there after the service, and you grab a marker and you write a prayer or a scripture on the floor of that children's ministry wing, 
This is why when you wrote a check to the REACH initiative and you give to the REACH initiative and we're adding on to our children's wing in our front lobby, that's why it's so important. There are going to be kids that aren't here yet that sit in those classrooms and they hear the gospel for the first time. There are going to be guests that walk into this tool. It's just a building. I get it. It's just a tool, but your generosity. There are going to be people that walk into this place that aren't here yet that will hear the gospel because you were generous with that. And it will change their lives forever. And look, you don't even know. One of these kids could walk in here and end up preaching to thousands, if not millions, and you're going to get to heaven. You're going to meet people that you never thought you'd meet. And they're going to say, I'm here because you were generous. Because you sacrificed. Because you went the extra mile. When you sit at a church and you've been at a church for a long time and things begin to change, like they're changing. Elephant in the room. Let's just be honest. There are things that are changing. And when you've been here for a long time and you can look at it and you can say, these aren't the changes I would pick. And this isn't everything that I would want to do. But I know there's a young family that's not here yet that's going to be here and it's going to change the trajectory of their entire life. When you have that perspective and you're generous with accepting things, it changes everything. I can't even... When God's people view God's money, God's way, it changes the world. The entire trajectory of my, my whole life was changed because some people said, let's be generous. Let's live this kingdom life. You know what I've learned over time is that each of us, we have a very limited amount of this. And we also have a very limited amount of this. I have more of this than any of you because these are fake. <laughs> I just figured somebody was going to come up after the sermon and say, hey, I just want to talk to you real quick while someone else... I know how it works. I know how it works. Greed. But it's fake. But we have a limited amount of this in our life. We encounter a limited amount of this. And we, we have a limited amount of this. And I really do believe in my heart that we're going to run out of this before we run out of this. We'll run out of time before we run out of money. And what we do with this time and what we do with this money has the ability, if we'll entrust it to our king, if we will pledge our allegiance to him, allow him to transform our heart, thereby changing what motivates us and exposing us to what he's doing in the world, it has the ability to change lives, lives that you won't know it changed until you get to heaven. Why should we be generous? Why not? Why not? Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful to be a part of a church that's so generous. God, as I've listened to stories of people that have sold things that they owned so they could be generous here at New Hope, it, it just kind of changed my whole view of things. And God, I'm grateful that uh, the only reason that we are generous is because Jesus was so generous with us. That he didn't just teach it for us, he modeled it. That we respond with generosity because the greatest act of generosity ever was the creator of the universe offering his greatest, his greatest offering in the perfect life of his son, the death and the resurrection. And we respond with our generosity in so many different arenas because we're focused, laser focused on your generosity. So God, as we walk out of here, I pray that one thing, at least one thing just sits heavy on our heart. We walk out of here and we're different because of it. We change something. We include something. We begin to get generous. We stop viewing generosity as a financial issue and start seeing it as a heart issue. And we begin to change the way we approach our lives. But all for your glory and all because of the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. 
God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this place. And we give our thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.